0: In the heart of a champion, there is a fire.
1: God's heart. It's what God desires, and it is the main source of the why God does, says, or directs as He does. His will is the reflection of His character. In other words, He does right because He is right. He loves perfectly because He is perfect love. What God thinks and feels, that is His mind, is moved by His will, His heart, and is a direct manifestation of His character. So we're talking about the Will of God Today, and I thought I would share that as the opening. It's just a reflection that I wrote after doing some reading on The Will of God and, and kind of just putting it into my own terms. And there are so many things to say about that, and, well, that's why we're going to feature this on the podcast today. And hello to Easy Target. Hello to you, Overtrek. And I look across the way, and I see the empty chair that says that old Roland Napoleon is not with us.
0: It's kind of a, um, there's, there's there's an empty void
1: there's an empty place in our hearts. It sure is. Yes. It was not our will for him to not be here. Nope. But what we are going to do today in lieu of Napoleon being with us, because we had planned on doing our first podcast of the year on fitness, mm-hmm. uh, physical fitness, um, and tying that in with, with some aspects of our spiritual fitness, but we really wanted um, Dean Roland Napoleon to be with us on that discussion. and So we're going to postpone that one, and we'll be bringing that to you next week. You know, they say, come rain or shine. Well, come dean or no. <laughs> next week, we'll do the fitness uh, podcast. But in, in, when we found out he couldn't be with us for this week's recording, we thought, well, and th- actually, it was your idea. Why don't we take what we've been doing on our radio program this week, which was discussions on the will of God and living in the will of God, and and exploring some questions about that, and just put that into a podcast. Yes. So that's what we're going to do. And actually, you've been doing some of the preliminary work to get this all put together but still even though we're trying to do the most professional job we can as you listen to it there may be some things where you say huh, uh, what are they they just said that five we're basically splicing together about 3, three days f- worth of 3 days yeah. of radio program into this one podcast so just kind of listen with that in mind
0: yeah so if we mention something and we say hey you know we were talking about this yesterday that's why
1: thank you for joining us this week on the podcast and we'll go to the pre-recorded discussion between easy target and I on uh, living in the will of God we're going to be looking today at a at a topic that has captured our attention over this past weekend and that is what is it to live in the will of God and you said you would like to discuss it because
0: I think it's a very misunderstood topic especially in Christendom those that have grown up in church any amount of time have no doubt heard preaching on, you know, you need to find God's will for your life. You need to find the will of God. You need to live in the will of God. And it has almost been this kind of ambiguous, unknowable, predetermined destiny. And, oh no, what do I do if I miss God's will for my life? What do I do if I want God's will, but I can't find God's will? And so there's this angst and anxiety over something that God never intended for it to be a a source of disdain or trouble. It's His intended way to live life with us. And so growing in that knowledge is is beneficial and helpful for everybody.
1: Well, I think that there are a number of things throughout our Christian experience, if we're honest, that feel ambiguous and uncertain and cliche, and we don't want them to be. I made this statement to our friend Matthew Jones, pastor of Faith Baptist Church. I made this statement to him uh, this week. And it was it was actually coming out of a, a time of prayer in my life. I was praying over um, uh, how, and this does fit in this topic. But I was praying over how do I learn to literally present my body to God as a as an act of worship, and how the functions of my physical body become useful instruments in the kingdom of God to accomplish His righteousness. Now. There might be some things we can think of automatically. Well, we sing and we you know, we kneel or whatever, but it's, it's every facet of it. And, and I think and this is the thought that I had. We don't know because we've only been told, never taught. Hmm. And I think that that captures a lot of the mission that we're on as a church, and really what we invite listeners to the program into, we, we don't want to just tell anymore. We actually want to teach so that we understand what God is calling us into and what he's wanting to do in our life. And so in this uh, very topic right here, the will of God and learning how to really live in the will of God, that's that's part of the journey that we're on. It's at least, uh, it, it, It's not like a, a chapter and we'll turn this page and leave it alone. We're going to continue in this for the rest of our journey. It'll sure. always be a part of it as we learn it. So how do we really live in the will of God? It's like... This just kind of came, not out of the blue, I mean, but last week in my heart, God began to speak to me about some things, how to really live in the will of God. Now, we said this earlier, there are many phrases and statements made around church that we've heard thousands of times, but of which uh, many of them are not clear in our minds. And we've talked about some of those, you know, and we're going to talk about these things again, because they're not something we just hit in passing and then move on. But what is salvation? What is the kingdom of God, and how do I live and operate with a kingdom mindset? But another one is the will of God. So we talk about doing the will of God, and we pray for God's will to be done, but it doesn't seem like for many of us those are statements, though we make them around the church, they do not perhaps translate into practical living in our day-to-day lives. I don't think that's always because we don't want it to be true. I think it is because of what you were saying earlier. We don't understand. Right. Well, the will of God. Now let's stop and just put some context to what we're talking about. The will of God. We're talking about God, okay? Now you can't quantify God. I I shared this with uh, a number of you fellows in a text uh, this week. That the statement somebody made that we can now we can now get the energy out of the. Out of an atom yeah. by splitting it, and the writer said, "I have been told that there is enough energy within a raisin to power New York City for an entire day. One raisin. So if you could split the atoms of one raisin, you could power the largest city in the world for an entire
0: day." Which makes me wonder why gas prices are over three dollars a gallon. Let's somebody start, needs to split let's some, start raisins, some raisins, man. Cracking some raisins. <laughs> but you just think about that. God holds all of that together.
1: You, you go out into space and you look at the the immeasurable vastness of space. and God made and holds all that. He dwells in all of that and he transcends all of that. We're talking about God and his will. Yeah So we know already we got to start whittling this down a little bit to what what you've sort of proposed that we're going to get into, which is some questions about God's will for my life yeah. personally when you start thinking about the will of God, it brings to mind some very important questions. And these are questions that will guide a lot of our studying and learning in the days ahead. But number one, how can we know the will of God for our lives? And and the, the one word answer I give to that, where you start, it's not enough, but where you start is surrender. Okay. And and I just want to say it right here. you You have to literally be able to let go of your will into, let it be taken into the will of God. And the second question that comes to mind for me is what is the point of doing the will of God? So we need to know our why, our motivation. Well, the point of doing the will of God is that God is glorified in my life through everything that I do. The third question that I pose is how much of a say do I get in my daily life? In other words, if I have surrendered myself to God's will for me and I am living in God's will, I'm doing only what God wants me to do, do I get to make any choices at all? Well, the simple answer to that is yes. Mm -hmm. You get to make tons of choices when you're living in the will of God. As a matter of fact, it's living outside of the will of God that our choices begin to be narrowed down because we lose actual freedom when we are in control of our life. And there's a lot to to study and say about that. Now, we looked at the text this past Sunday from Luke chapter 12 as a starting point for this. And for sake of time, I won't read the entire parable, but Jesus tells the story about a farmer who, well, I, I should back up and say that in verse 15 of Luke 12, he makes a statement. He says, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And the, next, the rest of the chapter could be divided into a couple of different sections. One, he's going to give a parable about a rich man whose land, his farm, brought forth plentifully. We all know this story. Here's a man who was doing well and successful in his farming, and he does so good that he decides, what am I going to do with all this extra? Well, I'll tear down my barns, build bigger barns. I'll store all this up because one day I'm going to retire and I can really live it up. Okay, So this was a man who had an abundance of Earthly riches, but no no riches toward God. That's what verse 20 tells us. Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The second half of the rest of the chapter is about people who do not feel like they have an abundance, and they're worried about having enough. And they're worried about having clothing and food and drink and shelter. And Jesus is saying to them, why do you worry about these things? These things aren't the important things. And, and the summary of that is when you get to verse 30, where he says, um, For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. So you've got two groups of people. You've got the one who has an abundance, and he doesn't need God. And all he's thinking about is himself. And then you've got the other group who doesn't have an abundance. But they, too, are thinking about themselves. They're they're worried about whether they're going to make it. So both people need to surrender themselves into the will of God. So the point that I made Sunday was simply this. To learn how to really live in the will of God, we need to start with this knowledge that our lives do not belong to us. That is the first place we have to start. That's verse 20. Thou fool this night, thy soul, thou... Your life will be required of thee, and God's not interested in your barns of grain. He's not going to take them to heaven with you. He doesn't need them. So who's this stuff going to belong to then? This is what you gave your whole life to. But each one of us are accountable to God. Now, to, to understand God's will and to really live in God's will, I, I need to begin with this, this important principle that my life does not belong to me. It belongs to God. Let me give another verse. First Corinthians 6, or two verses, verse 19 and 20. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So to do the will of God means I understand my life is not my own, and my life is now given to one primary focus, glorifying God in everything that I do. I gave this illustration on Sunday. I said, and that was a funny part of the service, that this illustration really got kind of botched thanks to our good friend Tommy Gaskins. Shout out to Tommy Gaskins. (laughs) But I gave this illustration. I said, you know, if we're going to live this way and understanding that we're going to be truly accountable to God, uh, it's more than being faithful to attend church, more than tithing, praying over our meals, all the list of Christian activities that that we can do and the duties that we can perform, we have to understand and pray for increased understanding that our lives are not our own to do with as we please. And to illustrate that, I said, who in this room would be willing to hold up your car keys and let me come around and just pick anybody's car keys that I want and you'd loan me your car to drive it wherever I want to, however I want to until I run it out of gas or run it into a ditch somewhere? Now, who would do that? Well, no one, realistically, right? Although Brother Tommy insisted through the rest of the morning that he would give me his keys.
0: I almost wish you'd take him up on it.
1: I probably should have done it and just taken a trip somewhere. Yep. But, But we do our life that way with God. God has loaned us this life. He says, this night thy soul, thy life, is going to be required of thee. Then who shall all those things be which thou hast labored and built up for thyself? You've been ignoring God. You've been neglecting your loved ones. And you you do these things to the rich farmer here or the person that's out there just trying to, they're just doing what they want to do with their life. And they say, well, I'm, I'm doing this for, uh, I'm doing it for my wife. I'm doing it for my family. I'm doing it for the greater good or whatever we what we want to label it. But we're doing what we want to do with a life that's not our own. And we're not asking God what he wants. We're not seeking the will of God. So I summarize all that with this final statement from Sunday morning. To live in the will of God is to live for the glory of God. And that's where we ended Sunday's uh, message in this. Now, I know you've got some questions that you wanted to bring to our discussion today. And so we're going to rapidly run out of time. Let me say three things, three key points about the will of God. Number one, number one point I want to make about the will of God. I don't know nearly what I would like to. And and that's the first thing I need to say. But I'm energized by this study because I've seen energy from other people about it. Mm-hmm. The second thing I want to say about the will of God, what we can say about the will of a person, we can say about the will of God. In other words, we need to think of the will as the core of who God is or the heart of God. The heart or the will of God includes what God wants and what God does not want, what God permits and what God does not permit. It's the revelation, when we think about the will of God, the heart of God, it's the revelation of God's intentions, decisions, and actions, all as a reflection of who he is or of his nature. Now, One big difference, God's will is perfect, man's will is not. And one of the primary texts for us to take hold of in discussing God's will is his response to Moses when Moses asked him in Exodus, and God said, I'm going to send you to lead my people out. And Moses says, well, well, who are you and what is your name? If they ask me, what is your name? And God said, I am that I am. God is not dependent on others to be who he is. He is himself alone. The great work of spiritual transformation is to bring the heart or the will of the believer into alignment with the heart or the will of God. So I think that's very important to understand. When we talk about the will of God, we need to think of it as the core of who God is, his heart. And then the third thing, the third key point I wanted to, to bring into the discussion is this. It is imperative that we understand that God's will has this as its highest aim, his glory. We've got to keep that in mind. God's will always has as its highest aim his glory. So whereas we often think of God's will in terms of our good, right? Mm-hmm. We will say things like, well, if God wills it, it's for our good. Well, that's true, but it's only true because what God wills is ultimately about him being glorified in our lives, and that will be for our good. Yes. Hence Job. You just stop and think about Job. What was the point? What was the point of everything Job went through? And there's only one answer. At the end of it all, God was glorified in Job's life. God got the glory. Mm-hmm. Job got the suffering. Yeah. Job got the loss. And I know God gave Job back in the end twice as much as, as he had had before. But my, my wife even said to me the other day, but what about his children? Not, you know, I know the classic, well, God gave him more children. But what about the children that died, that mm-hmm. died in the terrible accident and, and so forth and so on? Who can explain these things?
0: God was glorified in it. That doesn't seem fair, but God was glorified in it. And I think that's an important thing to highlight in on for just a second because we look and say, well, yeah, obviously God was glorified and it worked out for Job's good because look at the blessings of Job's life at the end. But that's such a key point. The greatest blessing of Job was not the multiplied donkeys and sheep and oxen, and even the 10 additional children. And so, well, he had 10 in glory, 10 on earth, double, boom, boom, boom. That's that prosperity gospel mindset. Endure things for God, achieve financial benefits later. The greatest blessing of all of it was that Job could look back and say, I don't understand all of it, but apparently I was used to greatly magnify the Lord. I'm sort of inclined to believe if you were to ask Job at the end of it all, hey, Job knowing what you know now, would you go through all of that again? I would think part of Job would say, yes, I always want to glorify God. But he wasn't looking at his farms and his his oxen and everything else saying, yep, look at what I have now. I would go through all of it again. If that was all that he had to offer, I don't think Job would trade what he had for the, the no. double financial things. But to know that deep down, man, I have communed with God in a way that I would have never been able to enter into before. And so where I am at now, it was worth it. Not because of the houses and the lands and the cattle, but because now my deeper connection with God. And that is what God is willing for all of us.
1: Three key points. I want to reiterate those because we're talking about the will of God. How can we comprehend the will of God, right? And I guess that goes to my first key point because my first key point, in talking about this, was to say, I don't know nearly what I would like to know. But we don't need to know everything. We just need to know what God wants us to know. For our life, what is his will? What is he accomplishing? And ultimately, what is the the great will of God? Well, Romans chapter 12, is we're going to end up spending some time in that today, says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He's talking about proving the will of God, testing it, experiencing it, finding out what it is, and understanding in all of that process that it is good, acceptable, and perfect. So we want to know what is the perfect will of God, and we'll be talking about that a little bit because you've got some questions that you wanted to pose on this topic that we'll we'll try to answer and discuss together. But the second key point that I gave yesterday to close with is what we can say about the will of a person we can say about the will of God. In other words, we are understanding and need to think of the will of God as being the core of who God is or the heart of God. So the heart or the will of God includes what God wants and what God does not want, what God permits and what God does not permit. It is the will of God is the revelation of God's intentions, decisions, and his actions. It all stems from his will, and all of it is a reflection of who he is. It is a reflection of his nature. So that's an important thing to remember. And the third key point as we discuss this today, it is imperative that we understand that God's will has, as its highest aim, his glory. So I was in a conversation on a visit yesterday, and it came up, you know, the the questions, as they do, why? You know, we ask God why. Why does he allow this to happen? And, you know, it's it's not always the appropriate place to say this, And I didn't say it out loud in the moment as a person still processing pain. But in my mind, I'm thinking the ultimate answer as to why God did this or allowed this, it's for his glory. Mm -hmm. You look at Job's life, and that's in the end of it all, that's all we have. God was glorified, period, case closed. So it's imperative that we understand God's will has as its highest aim his glory. And we kind of have to get away from the thinking about God's will in terms of what's good for us. And we say things like, well, you know, it's God's will, then it must be good for me, which is true, but it's only true because what God wills is ultimately about him being glorified in our lives. And you think about Jesus in Gethsemane. You know, the prayer that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane was, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but thy will be done. And, and ultimately, God's will was done, and God's will brought glory to God and continues to bring glory to God. Well, there's a lot you could unpack in just that thought right there. Somebody says, well, what about going through suffering and hardship and pain? Does God will that? Well, Peter said, 1 Peter three seventeen, For it is better, if the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. So there's something about the will of God in the suffering that comes into the Christian's life. What's the ultimate aim of that? Well, we have to remember the ultimate aim is God's glory. That's the highest aim behind his will. Well, with that being said, and, and hopefully making sense, there were some questions that you wanted to pose mm-hmm. for today's broadcast that we could sort of maybe dive into this topic a little more.
0: Sure. And I think the first one that I have is it was going to kind of be maybe a, a broad question to the to the effect of I think I mentioned it yesterday about how, in my opinion, one of the biggest misconceptions in Christianity is that there is this quote unquote perfect will of God. And what I mean by that is the mentality of all right, there is one predetermined outcome for my life. You know, we tell our young people, hey, you need to pray to find God's will for your life. And what we typically mean by that is find out what God wants you to be when you grow up. That's the will of God.
1: Or, let's use the proper term there, what God wants you to do.
0: Yes. And we kind of use those, those statements kind of synonymously, but they're, they're really actually very different. And I was wondering, you know, if somebody was to ask you, all right, what is the Bible actually referring to by the term the perfect will of God, which we are supposed to be actively seeking after every day? Well,
1: when when someone uses that phrase, and we've heard this in church, and sometimes preachers will say this in the pulpit, and some of them listening right now might have said this, uh, to include us. We hear that phrase, well, I believe it was the perfect will of God. What they're usually referring to is some event or episode of their life or of someone else's life in which God was acting in his sovereignty to accomplish what he wanted done. Now, Sometimes we say it lightly. We say, boy, I walked into Chick-fil-A and they had a, they were giving away free ch- free uh, Chick-fil-A chicken nuggets. I believe it was the perfect will of God that I showed up for it. Well, you know, maybe, I don't know, but usually when we use that phrase seriously, we're talking about God and his sovereignty accomplishing what he wanted done. So Romans 12, 1 and 2, when we look at those verses uh, that we read just a moment ago, again, just to... To paraphrase them, to quickly remind us, you know, uh, present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Now, taken together, those two verses are a foundational text on what we call and have been calling spiritual transformation. And when we think of what God's good, acceptable, and perfect will for my life or your life is, I think of two things. Number one, that we, what is God's perfect will, okay? So if I'm going to say to a young person or an older person, man, you you want God's perfect will for your life. Well, I think of two things. Number one, God's perfect will is that we are transformed into the likeness of Christ, but not being made a clone of Jesus, but rather to be me, the me God intends for me to be, but to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. I hope I said that clearly. I believe so. Colossians 3.10, in other words, Paul said, and and have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. It's, a, it's an internal thing. It's an internal transformation. That's where the likeness of Jesus happens in our life. And then, of course, it will begin to manifest outwardly. So that would be the first thing when we think about the perfect will of God. Uh, it, it is about being transformed to the likeness of Christ. Now, we're taking that out of the text of Romans 12, 1 and 2. Secondly, I believe the perfect will of God is that our lives will be lived in such a way that everything about us is magnifying him. Now, before I go on, I want to interrupt myself to say, one of the things, I posed a question yesterday and Sunday morning. If I'm going to live my life in the perfect will of God, how many how many decisions do I get to make? Mm-hmm. What choices are left up to me, or is this like God's got everything laid out and I'm just going to kind of go connect all the dots? Well, with what I just told you, which I believe I'm taking from Romans 12, 1 and 2, clearly, there's a whole lot of you getting to do things and choose things in that. All of it coming under the heading of my life being transformed into the likeness of Jesus and my life being lived in such a way that everything... I'm doing. Everything about me is magnifying God. So another way to say it is this. God wants us to become what we are, which is saints and sons of God who reflect his glory. And his intent is that our entire lives become worshipful living. Now, if we stop and think about that a minute, that would bring up a lot of questions. You know, how does my entire life become Everything I'm doing, an act of worship. I'm living worship to God. But again, that's our text of Romans 12, 1 and 2. Now, if you put those two things together, you see that they are both vital to one another. You cannot have one without the other. In so much as my inner nature is being transformed into the inner nature of Jesus, then I am increasingly becoming the kind of person who is bringing glory to God in everything that I do. It's just, it's going to happen that way. So I I thought about how some people believe that there's that perfect person out there for them to meet and marry. Well, you know, then you think in a world of seven-plus billion people, how do you go about finding the perfect person? We need to understand that God is redeeming our lives not just from the penalty of sin, but he is redeeming us from the mistakes we make, the missed open doors, all of it. We need to understand that God is at work to accomplish in us his perfect will no matter what.
0: So it, that's almost the answer to the question you you mentioned the people that have the mentality that there's one perfect person out there. you know I've heard people say, well, yeah, but what if what if I'm looking for my one perfect person, but my perfect person isn't looking for me yet, then what happens well to to that point the the redeeming work of God, whether it was a missed opportunity or whether it was a time when we weren't looking when we should have been, we've got to stop thinking of. Oh, I missed my chance or I messed this up. I ruined God's perfect plan for my life. The 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 comfort that I take from that is how how can I as a small broken individual possibly mess up the work and the will of God? I I can't derail God's plan. God is going to, God is always able to fix whatever it is that I have broken.
1: Yeah, you've jumped to your third question. Yes, because I've already seen your question. So yeah,
0: well, because cause, and to that question, I was going to ask the person who is surrendered to God's perfect will, but is maybe afraid that I missed my open door, I missed my window, I I lost the opportunity. We, I believe, would say, no, we we're not to, called to live a life of regret. We're not called to live a life of Oh, I missed it. God wants to take where you are today for you to come to Him and let Him build something beautiful in you. What would be something, some word of encouragement that that perhaps you could speak to them for the rest of their life moving forward?
1: Well, the way you had posed that question, I want to refer to. You said that you know a person that's afraid that their past choices have caused them to miss God's plan A for their yes. life, and I thought that was an important way you phrased that. Uh, my first response is that God's plan A is always in effect. So here's why I say that. We cannot surprise or shock God or throw God off. Now, there are many scenarios that we could come up with that seem to illustrate a life that was redirected by sin or rebellion or bad choices. And the thought may be, well, you know, they missed God's best for their life, but thank God for grace, he can still use them. Mm -hmm. The problem with that is that it, it makes it sound like that person is a lesser citizen of the kingdom, but that's not so. God can still use them, but no less so than he can use me. So I think it's important for the person who realizes, well, I'll never be able to do this because of choices that I've made. Uh, don't, you didn't surprise God. Mm-hmm. You didn't throw God off of his plan for your life. You didn't mess up God's perfect will. And I think it would be important to say something about that perfect will before we close. But let me give you two passages. First um, John three nineteen and 20. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. If our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart. Secondly, here's where we really learn how to live in Romans chapter 8. Because it says, Romans 8, 26 through 28. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. You're not going to mess that up. And we know that all things, good things, bad things, trouble things, mistakes, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. You may feel like you've missed something, and certainly others may cast that thought into your mind. Well, you know, you'll never be able to do this, but we need to forget that. Mm -hmm. That's not God's purpose right now. Remember, if we go back to what I said, there's two things God's ultimately after, to transform us into the likeness of Christ and to bring us to the place where our lives are lived in such a way that everything about us is magnifying him. There is nothing you or I or any listener could do to mess their life up in which our God who redeems all things cannot take that and glorify himself. So I'll have to close with this. Things will happen in our life that God does not cause nor wish upon us. They may be the will of our own divided heart or of another person. But we can look at those things, whether they're hurtful things or mistakes we made, we can look at those things through this lens that we... Accept them as within God's plan for good to those who love him and are living right now in his purposes. Irredeemable harm does not befall those who willingly live in the hand of God. And that last part was a quote which I must attribute to Dallas Willard from Renovation of the Heart. Uh, ex- we accept all those things. We accept all those problems. We look at them through the, the lens, and this is the quote, we accept them as within God's plan for good to those who love him and are living now in his purposes. Irredeemable harm does not befall those who willingly live in the hand of God. That's good. If I were to summarize it, we're all living in one of two ways. And uh, I, I brought this little drawing I made the other day, and, and it, it's jumping in my mind. I'm looking at it thinking, we all live our lives in one of two ways, with either God at the center or self at the center. So to live in the will of God means I'm living with God at the center of my life. And when I do that, that is to be what Paul describes as spiritually minded, having the mind of Christ, uh, the mind of the Spirit. Um, then you know, those that are living outside of the will of God or other than the will of God are living with self at the center. And, of course, that's what Paul describes as being uh, living uh, with a carnal mind, living after the flesh And so what we're trying to discern here is what is it to live with God at the center of my life, doing the will of God and bringing glory to him. So uh, that doesn't really summarize everything we've talked about, but it kind of brings it all into a, just a a big key point.
0: And it gets us up to speed with where we're going to be transitioning into the conversation for today.
1: Which is, we had one final question that you had brought to the table and we got through a couple of the questions yesterday and we left off before we could do this don't be perplexed or puzzled by this, but we covered question one and three, and we've got to go back and do question number two.
0: Yeah, it was its kind of just the way the conversation flowed yesterday, that one and, and three kind of tied in very well together, which I think was a very natural outflow, because what we're going to be talking with question number two, I think is kind of almost the, like, when you're thinking about the will of God, it's like the... The coup de grace, so to speak, it's like that.
1: I've heard that phrase, but I don't really know what it means.
0: I've always heard my dad use that phrase, and it was almost kind of you know like, like it's it's the it's the holy grail. It's the it's the one that when you think about something and, you, and you're tackling it, that's it. And I think this question is what gets so many people hung up when they start allowing themselves to wonder about the will of God, because it's one that is just so difficult to answer.
1: Well, I tell you what, we should do before we even go to the question is we should bring us into a, sort of a scriptural mind, mindfulness of what we're talking about when we talk about the will of God. So our text that we've really focused a lot of this on, even though we started at the first of the week in Luke chapter 12, uh, but really we've been looking at Romans 12, 1 and 2, because it tells us, Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know, I'm going to read a couple other verses here just about the will of God, but, you know, I'm wondering if you have some scriptures that pop into your mind about the will of God. That's sort of an on the spot question.
0: I think the one that always comes back to me. Is Psalm forty verse eight, which is, I delight to do thy will, O my God, yea, thou law was within my heart. And what whatever it is when we're thinking about the will of God, it has to be our delight. It has to be something that we find joy in doing as we are pursuing the will of God. It's not something to do with with trudging or 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 dread or a sense of obligation, but it is. The joy of the life of the believer and so as we engage in these things and as we present our bodies that living sacrifice and, and we do all the things that we're talking about doing with the will of God it is the very source of our joy and fulfillment as people
1: so the uh, you know Jesus said when they came to him to tell him that his mother and his brethren were outside and and waiting on him he, he brings the will of God to a pretty high place when he says in Mark 3 and verse 35, for whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and my mother. And to that same note, that makes me think of another passage and I'm going to have to turn over here to it. uh, Matthew chapter 7, I'm thinking about, and I would like to say that I could quote it verbatim, but I want to make sure I'm not confusing myself here or confusing the text so at the end of Matthew chapter 7, end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says in verse 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. So, well, let me, let me read on. I, my eyes scanned on down the, the, the scriptures there. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And Here's what I just noticed when my eyes dropped down the page page. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So the reason not everybody gets into the kingdom is because not everybody does the will of God. Mm -hmm. But yet they're, they're standing before him saying, look at all the good we've done. We did all these things and we did them in your name and he says in contrast to doing the will of my father he contrasted by calling it working iniquity so i'm just thinking live on the radio here but would it be would it be then scriptural to say that anything not the will of god would be sin
0: i think absolutely i mean if we go to the Let's go to the the basic definition of sin, which we've all used forever. It's it's missing the mark of God.
1: Or to come short of the glory of God. Yes. And we established on Tuesday's broadcast, when we first started talking about this, that the will of God is always that we live our lives in such a way to bring glory to God. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the listener's probably sitting there thinking... It's taken you this long to come up with that definition? And and I I don't think so. I think it's just the revelation of reading that Scripture and putting it together.
0: Yeah, because I think one of the things that we think is every good work is obviously God's will. I mean, God wants us to do good. God is good. But to the point that we're making now is good work is not synonymous with God's will. Because if I'm doing a good work that is not God's will for my life, then yes, it may still be, from a human standpoint, good, but it is not good because it's not what God wants us to do. So we've got to stop thinking through the terms of this is good, therefore God's in it, and start thinking through the terms of what is God in because that, for me, is good.
1: Well, let me just, I mean, since you made my mind go this way, let me just throw another little mind-boggling thing in there. How do I want to frame this question? Sometimes things God is against must be done as part of His will being accomplished. I don't think I said it exactly the way I wanted to say it, but it was to the point you made that we equate doing good as the will of God. And that got me to thinking sometimes the will of God necessitates. Evil being done, mm-hmm. okay. And I don't know what comes to your mind when when I say that, but what comes, what I'm thinking about is is again Jesus, and I'm thinking about the Garden of Gethsemane. We referenced that before, but but Jesus says, you know, not my will, but thine be done. Well, what was God's will in that hour, in that that occasion? It was that Jesus be crucified. Yeah, and the evil that was done to bring that about had
0: to be a part of God's will. Mm -hmm. Whoa. Yeah. You're talking about the most innocent person that has ever graced the the face of the earth was mistreated more than anybody else ever has been. That's evil 101, mistreating innocent people. And and to the point that, that you just brought out, there's no denying that that was part of the will of God all the way back. I mean, even in the book of Genesis, you know, when, when God shall provide himself a lamb, that has always been the will and the plan of God. And, and then you see, I think even you go to Hebrews chapter number 11, and you can read of some evil things that were done to the saints of God that were absolutely part of the will of God because God was glorified in the fact that you had some sewn into animal skins and torn asunder and burned and and all of the horrible things that you read about, but that in all of that, God was glorified. And I think another key point to make is God is not necessarily orchestrating the evil. He's not doing the evil things because God does all things good. But he allows evil he's redeeming yes because in that evil being done something even more beautiful is going to come out of it on the other side
1: and just to finish out this thought about these types of bad things happening that are part of god's will being accomplished and we've already mentioned job you know yes. in this discussion but first peter chapter 4 Verse 12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Now, here it comes. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Yes. That was a long reading, but it all ended there in that we suffer according to the will of God. God's will it's in it. You can find it in it. Even even when it, it's like these bad things or these evil things or these unjust things are happening, God has a will that is at work in all this.
0: I think you look at King David. I mean, he's anointed by Samuel, and then he's despised by his brethren. He is you know brought into a, a position of prominence in King Saul's court and then is quickly Vilified by King Saul, spends his time on the run. I mean, he can't find uh, he can't find quarter in the wilderness. I mean, he's he's constantly just under this assault, time and time again, and is given opportunities to kill King Saul, and to end it. But his determination is this is all part of God's plan. I don't understand it. I don't know what's going on. But the Lord will work things out in His time. And you read at the at the end of the account about how. David was endeared to the people as a result, and the benefit of hindsight, we can see God's will in all of that. But I've got to think, when David's in the middle of the cave of Adullam, he's not really seeing how he's being endeared to the people at all. He's just in the middle of the evil and the unjust actions that are being done to him. But then the beautiful tapestry on the backside of of all that God has done, and so when we think of God's will and we think about suffering and we think about all of the atrocities of life, how comforting it is to know that the same evil that's happening to everybody on this, on this world, to those that enter into it with God, the promise of God doing a work and using insignificant me to do something magnificent and to be used as a vessel to bring glory to God gives hope to continue on even through the suffering.
1: Well, I think if we go to the third and final question you had posed, I think it will help bring together some of what we have just been doing, which we
0: will call freestyling. Sure. So my my final question uh, was this. Can you be in the perfect will of God and not aware that you are in it? As in, you're living your life for you, but God is allowing things to happen in your life that will ultimately draw you to him
1: and as i said before these questions were pretty pretty big and initially intimidating questions because the the will of god i don't nearly know as much as i would like to but they did challenge me to think and i begin to think about this question and if i understood or understand what you're asking my first response that the way i want to answer is no and what i mean by that is given the description of God's perfect will that, that we laid out at the beginning, taken from Romans 12, 1 and 2, which I think we'll come back to that Romans 12 passage in, in, in a moment. But given that description of God's perfect will that we looked at there, which is that, that, that God is intending that our lives, body, spirit, soul, would be lived in such a way that everything about us is magnifying him, and given that we understand God's perfect will includes that we're being transformed into the likeness of Jesus, then I think it's hard to imagine that a person could be living in God's perfect will and not know that that's what their life is about. But I wanted to think through it a little bit, and I think there is in this worth bringing up what we've heard referred to as the permissible will of God. Now, some people don't like that phrase or that term, and I understand that, um, but what is usually meant by permissible will is that God may have something better for us uh, than what we're doing or what we're pursuing, but He's allowing us to act on our own desires and, and that is what He's allowing us to do is within the range of what God will allow in our life. Now, the reason that permissible will of God sounds a little funny. It, it kind of sounds a little bit too fluid. It's as if God is sort of indifferent to what's going on, as long as we're not bothering Him. Mm-hmm. So it's like a it's like a distant dad, yeah. right? And see, that's it, it. So I can't I can't wrap my mind around that thinking because
0: it almost sounds like a I don't care what you do as long as you don't cross this right, line,
1: right? But but I'm sure that's not what everybody who uses that phrase means when they talk about the permissible will of God. My second approach to this is what I have heard termed God's will of command. In other words, he has given explicit instructions to us, but we have a choice in obeying or fulfilling that. So in terms of our choices, God has a sovereign will. I'm going to say some more about that in a moment. But our choices cannot override God's sovereign will, okay? We're talking about the area of things in which God has said, this is what I will for you. But you have a choice in it. So first Thessalonians four three, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. Now, do we have a choice in that? Sure. it's the will of God, right? It's cl- clearly it says this is the will of God, but we have a choice. We don't have to abstain from fornication. And obviously, we live in a world that doesn't abstain from fornication. Mm-hmm. In fact, a lot of people in church, a lot of we'll just say Christians, but we'll use the term, a lot of Christians don't abstain from this. Oh, they may say, well, I'm not involved in sexual immorality, but, you know, if we check out what you've been watching and looking at, we, we might have a different story, right? Sure. But this is the will of God, but we have a choice to make. And, and one thing, now this is big too. This is big and worthy of a, of a study and discussion on its own. But one thing God does not do is he does not force our will into compliance with his will, Okay. Now, let me, let me throw a verse on that. I don't want to pass by that without, without giving you a very good verse of Scripture. Ephesians chapter 6. Remember, what I said was God, I'm going to say it the same way, God does not force our will into compliance with his will. So Ephesians chapter 6, listen to this, verse 5. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart. As unto Christ, that phrase is important, in singleness of your heart. And verse 6: not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. The point being there, we do, we choose, and we act, and we obey God's will from our will. Remember one of the things I said? earlier in this discussion, is that we have to see and understand the will of God is the heart of God. Mm -hmm. And God says, you obey my will from your will. You choose that. You obey my heart from your heart. And I think that's a very important point. Now, I said that's the first way that I thought about answering your question, which is no. But my other answer to the question is to say that in terms of God's sovereign will, he is going to do what he wills to do. Okay? Now, let that settle in a moment. In terms of God's sovereign will, he is going to do whatever it is that he wills to do. So in one sense, we can be in the perfect will of God and be unaware of it, and unaware of what he is doing, or unaware that what he is doing, or what he is allowing, is actually moving us in a direction toward him. Okay? Now, I'm going to illustrate that. But first let me say, he's not violating our will, our will, but he is working his own will to lead us to a place of finding his perfect will. Moses, okay? Moses and think of the journey that Moses went on that took him from his mother's arms to the Nile River, to Pharaoh's daughter, to prince of Egypt, to deserts, Wilderness of Sinai, all the way to Pisgah's lofty heights. Mm-hmm. In the early part of Moses' life, he was in the perfect will of God, and had no idea that he was right. Now, here's where the complexity is going to come in, because we're going to you're going to have somebody thinking, right? Well. What if Moses had gotten out of the will of God? Well, in one sense, he he did maybe at times. Well, let's be honest, he did. We we just don't know all the yeah, stories he, of Moses' life. He
0: killed that Egyptian. Pretty sure that wasn't God's will for
1: well, him. Well, and yet, and yet, think about what we were discussing earlier: evil being done in order for God's will to accomplish. The slaying of that Egyptian was part of what propelled Moses into fleeing Egypt in the first place. Right. So God redeemed that. Yes. So now we're seeing the crossing here of God's will of command and God's sovereign yes. will. God's will of command, thou shalt not murder. Mm-hmm. God's sovereign will was, I'm going to use this man to lead my people out. And in Moses' choice, he chose to disobey. Now, obviously, we know the, the law hadn't been given. It was given to Moses. But but Moses did wrong in his own will And yet God in his sovereign will redeemed that to accomplish his perfect will in his life.
0: Because I think the perfect will was Moses is going to get into the desert one way or the other. There's a myriad of different ways that God could have gotten Moses into the wilderness. In other words, it's not like God puppeteered Moses to slay this man. Right. But because of the choice that Moses made, God said, I can use that. I can still accomplish my will. In spite of, because I guess this image comes to my mind. I sort of picture Satan, you know, right behind Moses as as Moses killed that man. Satan sort of thinking, all right, God, uh-huh, how are you going to use this now? Mm-hmm. To which then God's response is, I'm going to use it regardless. Well, I
1: mean, you and I have had this discussion. You've told me the story out of the C.S. Lewis book of, yes. of how basic, or not C.S. Lewis, but uh, Tol- Tolkien. Tolkien. Mm-hmm and ultimately we don't have time to go into that but the redemption of every time the evil one tried to mess up what God had done God just had to make it better yes which, so it, it backfires and you think about Paul and the fallout with Barnabas you know that that was not God's will that was two clashes of the will of men the hearts of men but God redeemed that and put Barnabas with John Mark John Mark <laughs> thank you and Paul with Silas Silas and look at what came out of that yes you know so God this is this is just, this awakens your heart to, to how wonderful God is and how great God is. And you know what God's will is all about? The will of God is about the glory of God. Yes. And that's what we're learning. And, and it takes us really, not you know, just to go back to the full circle to that, that second question, which was question three, which we've already answered, about God's plan A for our life. God's plan A for our life can never be stopped. Yes, you know, it, unless we walk away from God, that that you know what I'm saying, right? That's the only way.
0: And what a what a load and a relief that that is, because anybody listening that has lived any extended period of time in in, in their in their Christian life has probably at some point in time carried the burden of, Lord, I, I don't want to mess up your will for my life. I, don't, I I don't I don't want to I don't want to mess up. How beautiful of a thing that it is to know that we cannot mess up God's love for us in our life, God's plan, or God's working in our life. Now, Romans 8. Now, Study the chapter. What then? Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. We're, we're not at any way, shape, or form promoting go out and do whatever you want to do and let God put the pieces back together. That's not what we're talking about. But what we're talking about is... To those that are seeking, God, I want your will. God's saying, you've got it. Just just come to me. Just honor me. Live your life for me. And you know what? When the enemy gets you off track, when your own flesh gets you off track, when you take your eyes off me, don't quit, Peter. When thou art converted, restore thy brother. Come back. We'll put it back together, and we will continue on. As one of the brothers in our
1: church likes to quote me saying, Jesus said, "I got this."
0: Exactly.
1: And we, you know, we're out of time for today's broadcast. I, I thought, you know, again, I was going to go back to Gethsemane, but there you see how those wheels collide. You know, Jesus had a will, and and if you say, well, no, Jesus did, no, he said, not my will, but thine be done. He had to surrender that will. And I'd love to come back to Romans chapter 12 and talk about that a little bit, but I would just encourage us to realize that God's going to do, like you said. We have a part in what God is accomplishing, and the best thing we can do is seek out how to surrender ourselves to him wholly and fully. Let him accomplish his good, acceptable, and perfect will in our lives.
0: That's right.